Hello and welcome back to the Comic Lyra podcast, the podcast that does deep dives into the best of comic books, graphic novels, mangas, and penny dreadfuls. I'm your host, the soon-to-be-known as Comic Stan, and with me, as always, is my luminous co-host, it's Jamie. Luminous, I like it. I mean, luminous in the sense that we all reflect light, but maybe it's like a, a compliment to be like, you reflect more light than other people. Well, I absorb light and then shunt it out later. Does that mean if you lick me, you will die of radiation poisoning? I don't think that's, I mean, all. it's one of those, like, all elephants are grey, but not all grey things are elephants. I don't think everything <laughs> that's luminous is necessarily, necessarily radioactive. I also don't know enough about radioactive stuff to know if everything that's radioactive is luminous. But Ryan, you've read so many comic books that have so many, so much accurate science about radioactive material in yeah, them. Yeah, obviously I know that if you get you know a radioactive spider... You know how gamma spider, particles work? Gamma rays. The, the <laughs> particles, it, it works more like a light, <laughs> I assume. Uh, I know radioactive spiders are great, and if you see one, get it in you as soon as possible. Um, get it on in you. you. Get I don't about know what, it, sunshine. What happens if you eat it? Maybe you turn into a man radio- spider. A radioactive frog? I mean... The- frogs eat spiders? Yeah, the yeah. frogs eat spiders? What's interesting about the Spider-Man, like, like, lore of the enemies and stuff, is some of them, the ones are animals... A scorpion especially was like, well, scorpions hunt spiders, yeah, yeah, yeah. so we'll make that as one. But they never thought, like, frog's actually really good at capturing spiders. <laughs> ah, let's get Frogman on the case. Frogman would be dope. Well, there's a toad in the X-Men. I don't know. If, <laughs> oh, yeah, there is, isn't there? But yeah. power-wise, I think he was, like, he was like a budget Spider-Man. Like, he could stick to walls and he had the tongue instead of the web. But he got beat up a lot, whereas Spider-Man's like a hero. So probably not the same kind of level. This is a lot of Marvel chat on DC Day. It's DC Day or DC Point of the Month or whatever you want to talk about. Yeah, it's the. So I'm, before we before we start talking about this comic, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you into a little secret here. Ryan tricked me. No, I didn't. You did. <laughs> if you, I trick you, I I I revel in it and I announce it and you I played enjoy a it. small trick on me. You said to me, "There's this great comic that you have to read." At no point did you tell me that it was going to be full of superhero shenanigans. I believe I distinctly said. It, what's great about the comic is that it's a certain genre with a set against the backdrop of the superhero universe. And that's what's good. Words. I think, I feel like I have that Fake pre-rehearsed news. enough that I said it. Fake news. Scandal. Scandal on the podcast. It's very possible that I was telling you when you were distracted by something, like like an extra luminous person or something. <laughs> What, what what we need a list of things that Jamie could have been distracted by at the point at which you gave him this key information. Uh, a person walked in and you were take like if we were in a public place, a person entered the area and you were taking like a minute to two minutes to assess if that was someone you knew or not because <laughs> you do know a lot of people, so that's it's understandable. It could it could have been a particularly shiny human being. That's very true. And but then the fear is, and I say this speaking on behalf of the introverts, right? Yeah. And I think the extroverts like yourself might be on the other side of this. But if you look at someone hard enough trying to work out if there's someone you recognise, you know, when you're like, do I know that person? Is there not a fear that you are staring at a complete stranger and they're they're going to look at you and you're going to have to go? Sorry, I, I thought you were someone else. No, because like, they just become new friends. Uh, th- that's the difference between us. Introverts like, I have enough friends already. I, <laughs> I do not need to make any more. You just walk up and say, I'm really sorry. I was staring at you because you look interesting and I don't know, don't know you yet. My name's Jamie. Well, go ride bikes. Speaking, <laughs> speaking of the comic we're about to get into, 
<laughs> I do not have as smooth lines to just deliver to complete strangers to make friends. That's why I'm here making a podcast. So I don't have to go out into the world and interact with people. That's why you conned one of your extrovert friends into making a podcast with you. Well, there's certainly something to be said for extroverts and introverts kind of like creating a symbiotic relationship yes. in a way. Um, the kind of like, uh, you know, there was an old like Planet Earth thing, might have been an Attenborough thing, mm. but it was there was a... Um, uh, a hole like a, a burrowed hole in the desert uh that had a tarantula in it yeah but it would also let a frog or something yeah. sit, hang about as well and the frog th- there was some symbiotic relationship where the they one did so the this are you saying i'm the frog yeah maybe i don't know i don't know if that works like extrovert and introvert i don't know who's let who in is the point <laughs> well, no, but it's the, true symbiosis yeah, isn't it the point is that one they ha- they they survive <laughs> off each other's advantages and they work together and that's kind of what we're doing here on the podcast absolutely this is a symbiotic relationship but not the marvel kind that's the important distinction yeah because if it's the marvel kind it's shenanigans well one of us is wearing the other <laughs> oh god ryan we're not that and friendly. we're not that. That's what I'm saying. We're not that. <laughs> so today we're talking about the human target. <laughs> yes. This is a comic that I read a few months ago. It came out last year, I believe. Mm. And it blew me away. I was I for one for the first thing to note is that it was written by Tom King. And I am an avid Tom King fan. Yes. For those who are not partial to the visual medium of us talking, Jamie rolled his eyes at me mentioning Tom King again. It's not a slight, I don't think, on the quality of the writing. <laughs> it's but just how he often comes I up, mention him. He comes up nearly as often as Alan Moore, who is, as we've established, the goat. I mean Tom King's pretty good though. He, like, I don't think he's goated yet. I for me this this got him to goated level. But I also read Mr. Miracle, which of his, which is amazing, and Vision, which is of the series, yeah. which is uh, amazing of his as well. Uh, to be clear, al- this is good. Yes. And should also note that it was also uh, art by Greg Smallwood. Um, Who we're going to talk about a yes, lot. intensely, yes. I'm excited about Greg Smallwood. Yes. So, g- g- general thoughts up top. As I said, you're, you said it was good. Do you want to uh, go into that a little more? Your general enjoyment of the comic or lack thereof? Yeah, it was good. It was good. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it had um, it, it had it all. I think in terms of the things that one could want from a story, there was a good bit of action, and where there was action, it was like fun and meaningful. Um, there were some rich characters with some interesting backstories, which became apparent throughout the story. There, yeah, there was a lot there to enjoy. I have some issues, but we're going to get into those in a bit. We'll get into the nitty gritty. Uh, I have a proposal for you, which I'm just saying live on the air right now. So you haven't Do heard this, this yet. I propose that I think we should go through this issue by issue. I think this is a text. This is a, this is a comic book series that is so entrenched in the issue by issue storytelling, specifically because of the actual context of the story. In a similar vein oh, to... I, a, don't, I don't like structure. Well, I'll, I'll guide the structure. So of the symbiotic relationship, I will guide us through the structure. And I'll just hold your hand and pull you along like a lo- lost child. I'm like a boyfriend on holiday where the girlfriend has booked everything and has a full itinerary. And I just turn up with a rucksack and some snacks. Like, where are we going again? I'm like, we're, Madeira, going to issue, great. we're going to issue one. And you're like, why do we have to go there first? <laughs> yeah, I want to go to issue one first. I want to have my ice cream. Issue seven was better. But I think every issue has its own unique thing about it. My favorite was issue 10. 
I, I, well, I said, I haven't even got a favorite, but I think I'll discern one once we get into it. But as I said, I'm proposing <laughs> that, walk through them kind of issue by issue. And I think, because each one also deserves its own little analysis. I think that's the key point. Okay. And you, to be fair, I, you know, I'm a stickler for structure. I don't always, I rarely propose this, if anything. So this is my, this it is always my, goes horribly. No, it doesn't. It went fine. It's gone fine in the past. But this is me using my one veto of like, this is one I think we should do. Do you remember Ice Cream Man? Ice Cream Man was a slog to make and to listen to because of the structure. Yeah, but that was because it was an anthology and that was less less stringent on the the story developing issue to issue. Whereas this, I think, is integral to the story. It was also back in the halcyon days when we didn't have a fucking scoop what we were doing, in fairness. That was literally a blind leading the blind. It was was the worst of our symbiotic relationship. It's like, I thought you had the eyes. I thought you had the eyes. Oh, bollocks. Oh, no, we both just have feet. Exactly. They're all so, left. <laughs> if this, we need a mock-up of drawing of us for the podcast, and it's just us with all left feet. And you only know the reference if you listen to this episode in particular. Otherwise, everyone else is just lost. And it's going on a t-shirt. I mean, everything wants to, needs to go on a t-shirt, if we can, <laughs> if we can help it. <laughs> So go on, issue one. Start with issue go one. Go on. And this is the little bit of the trick. I would say, based on issue one, can you give us a brief synopsis of the story only from issue one? Fuck off. Come on. If I have to do structure, you don't get both. You don't get both. You don't get a brilliant Jamie, not a synopsis synopsis and a structured episode. I don't know if the synopsis, not a synopsis was a was a, a drawing factor of the podcast, <laughs> if I'm being perfectly honest. <laughs> It's always bad. Just because it happens doesn't mean it's an integral part. Okay, for people not watching live, I'm stretching. So I'm limbering if I, up. If I frame it in this question, right? Yeah. Okay. You. Oh, I like. I like. A, I like a framing. You question. are trying to recommend the first issue only to yes. a person. So I'm. I, back in the day, so I'm a human being <laughs> on planet <laughs> for Earth. Sake. This I'm, again. I'm tempted to try the first issue, and I ask you. What's the story in the first issue only? A man who looks surprisingly like James Bond, only a bit more grey. I feel like that's most like older, white, like smart-looking men. Look, right? <laughs> you get what you're giving. I do see a Piers Brosnan in him. There is something a bit Piers Brosnan-esque, mm. isn't he? He's very handsome. Yes. Wakes up to find that he doesn't feel very well, drinks a lot, and then has a conversation with Lex Luthor where it's established that while he was pretending to be Lex Luthor to draw a hit on Lex Luthor, somebody actually did a pretty successful hit on him. I'd say that's in, in the closest nutshell, that's pretty much it. Um, the bit I will add from the knowing the character beforehand is the reason he's called the human target is his whole shtick, essentially, is he is a fill-in for people who are expecting an assassination yeah. attempt. He's literally the human target drawing the assassination to him so that they can stop it and find out who it was. Or he literally takes the hit, but he survives. Do you know about the human target? So I knew of him very briefly. I'd not read a thing with him in it before. Well, because so, there isn't much. Well, exactly. I The most I had with him was I watched uh, the CW Green Arrow series, and he was a character on that. So that was Chris Chance, wasn't it? Yeah. Christopher Chance, yes. yes. So there was an original Bronze Age comics human target. Right. Completely different character. Turned up in like an issue or two of a run. Tragic backstory, dead, uh, poorly son. Um, and then, yeah, so he was, he was like a little used, very, very, very fringe character. 
mm. that somebody decided to resurrect with a new name. That's where the human target comes from. And this is classic Tom King taking a character, and not even just Tom King, this is the pattern I keep banging on about. You get a really good writer in who's like, I like this character who I read as a kid for like two issues. I want to do a whole story about him. And Marvel and DC happens on both sides. They go, we don't care about this character, so you can literally do whatever. Go make some money. If if you will write a bit of Batman for us, because you're an acclaimed writer, we'll let you do whatever you want with Human Target. Like that's yeah. the 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 trade-off. And it just just yeah, that done again. Again, the original thing for me for that was uh Matt Fraction's Hawkeye. Literally yeah, no one cared about, about Hawkeye. This, haven't we? But um yes, he in the process of uh being the human target for Lex Luthor he survives the assassination attempt where someone shoots him and he's obviously wearing bulletproof vest or whatever. And then um, he, re- he drunk some bad coffee earlier in yeah. the issue. And then he's like, when he finds out he's been poisoned, he's like, that was the bad coffee. I think what especially helps uh, the setup of this, the poison was obviously meant to kill him instantly. Yeah. But the sh- gunshot that he took in the bulletproof vest made him throw up and that delayed him. So the main part, the main thing that starts in this first issue is the fact that he has 12 days left to live. And it's, it, it, I, I inferred from some of the text that it would be a lot sooner if it wasn't for the fact that the Justice League had amazing medicine. There was like, we can give you 12 days. Yeah. If you drink this medicine, you, you, you'll get a little further. Um, but he elects to drink a different medicine quite often. Yes, he substitutes for alcohol. He which... shit-faced a whiskey for most of it. Yes, and that yeah. seems to help as well in his it's own like way. like Tyrion Lannister. I'll tell you my tragic story. I was drunk for most of it. Yeah, and I think that that is what I love so much about this whole story is it is a quintessential noir detective story set against the backdrop of the DC universe. Yeah, which kind of, you know, it's the Batman shtick, isn't it? Well, I think it's even more detective noir than Batman. I think Batman has yeah. shades of it. This feels like a homage almost. Like yes. I, I'd say even just full on. I say this is a detective noir homage uh, for your fancy French lingo. And what I love especially about it is it transfers some of those tropes of the detective noir into this using the superpowers and everything. Mm. So you've got like the days left to live because it was a poison um there's one part about referring to the poison as out-of-date oxygen and hydrogen, which yes. I was like, that's bollocks. That's science fiction bollocks. But I have a theory that that actually comes... Well, not even necessarily a theory. I might have just missed something on my first read-through. I think that is a pivotal plot point later in it. Yeah. But so, starting at the beginning again, or with the first couple of <laughs> issues, shall we say? You've already, got- gone, you've already jumped ahead. You wanted the structure and you I've been around ahead. you too long. That's the problem. <laughs> no, I don't, rain us, don't blame us me. Both back in. Don't blame me. You did it. It's osmo- symbiosis <laughs> by osmosis. More science terms. <laughs> that means nothing. <laughs> i tell you what we can start off with, which is always, always good to talk about when it's great, and I think it's great here, is the art initially yes art is so eye-catching the colors are so vibrant and contrasting and it's always interesting i don't know that i think the colors are vibrant i think they're kind of muted they have a soft tone thing going on right so lots of soft pastel tones which are really beautiful and then there's a thing happening where they're allowing those really lovely tones to bleed out of the outlines to the extent that sometimes you get a browning of the outlines mm. where these where these soft pastel tones are bleeding out over them. 
Um, very, very arty, very oh. arty, really beautiful. Um, I think that I mean, again, going back to the thing that I hate in bad comic book art, there's a great consistency to mm. all the characters, and so you look at them from every angle and and in every pose, and they are identifiably themselves. Um, which you wouldn't think would be something to celebrate in comic book art, but clearly it is. Yes. Um, you know, everything just looks great. The art is doing a lot of the work here. I think the thing that you hate is I think that is a result of the house styles of the, the different yeah. publishers. And this is this sticks out so well. Doesn't look that. like a DC comic. It, it, not at all, no. Uh, what I noticed on my second read-through that I did for this is that the art, when I was really trying to examine it, some of the art looks like crayon. So some of the shading is literally a darker version of it. Just you see the yes. lines where it's shaded, and then other parts, specifically people or objects in the kind of foreground, um, have a cut out effect around it. So it looks to me what that made me think of was in like these detective stories when someone leaves a note. Yes. It, it's either in crayon or it's cut out letters from a magazine. Yeah, and I thought that was the vibe it was going through with the art, which I thought again on the secondary, I was like, I didn't even notice that, but that added to the vibe even if you don't notice there's a really nice use of texture like there's a really great use of texture isn't there the fact that some stuff is like kind of hard and more detailed and other stuff is like the background especially is softer and more blurred in and it tells you like this the background is the vibe this is the, the story yeah like absolutely. it separates those things so yeah a huge huge credit to the artist for hand in hand the story just working so well together the art was my favorite thing about it and i and it took me longer to read than it probably should have done because mm. I did spend some time just kind of oh, and often in, and and often in a comic book where there is a big panel with little text, and I have to zoom in, and I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake, I've got to zoom in now. And you, you know, the 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 uh, the native readers on the sites that you buy these things from aren't great, and so you often find yourself like it skips around and loses your place as you do that, and you have to scroll back to it, and it's really annoying. But I didn't mind so much with this because then when I zoomed back out and I'd read the blocks of text, I went, oh, that's lovely. <laughs> mm. You know, I, I really enjoyed the art for what it was. I thought the cover art was particularly good. The cover art I looked into and I saw it was a, it was a bunch of different artists per one. You can tell. But they, everyone nailed it. Like, and this is what I was saying about the issues. The, the, it, normally, when you get running series, cover art is just like, oh, this one's cool. This one's cool. This yeah. one's cool. This one was like, cover art immediately tells you what the issue is going to be like. Yeah. And again, this is why I was saying about separating them issues, like the cover art alone, I was considering buying this as a full hardback or like a full like volume. Yeah, me too. But then also I thought, would I prefer to have all 12 issues and have all those cover arts as well? Do you know what? When I, um, when I was doing a little bit of research just on the Justice League International mm. and Human Target and then some of the Green Lantern stuff that I didn't know about as well, like I didn't have a clue Gnaught was. Yeah, neither did I, to yeah. be fair. And so when I was doing a little bit of research, background research and all these things, a lot of the thumbnails for the YouTube videos I was watching mm. were people holding up the individual issues. And I kind of went, oh, I wish I'd not bought a digital copy of this and had bought... I might still buy a physical. Like, I, that's, yeah. that's my barometer now is like, I can't buy everything physical because it just, I just gen genuinely don't have the space. I'm about to have more space and I, that's still <laughs> not enough. 
But this was pretty enough to justify yes. it, wasn't it? And my barometer now is if I read something so good, then then for me, it's like, I need to buy this physically. I need to make space for it. I want, if all civilization collapses, I want this physical thing that I can still hold on to and know that I've got it forever as long as this stays safe. Yeah. Memory of a simpler time. Exactly. Back, back when we had a podcast. <laughs> now we just scavenge for meat. Yeah. And just talk to each other about comics from before. Do you remember that one Alan Moore story? It's like, that's all we talk about now. We can't remember anyone else. As we're walking through the ruins of England, yeah. trying to find a boat to France in the hope that they weren't attacked by the scourge. Basically, it might be 28 Days Later, might be Children of Men, one of those kind of yeah. British apocalypses, which is a bit more dreary than everyone else's apocalypses. <laughs> I've, accurately. Well, there's I no sunshine. <laughs> yeah, that's the first thing to go. <laughs> the sky is the same colour as the fading concrete. Yeah, we barely <laughs> had the sunshine before. Now it's completely gone. <laughs> also, my note of the art was great facial expressions. I feel like if you took all the dialogue out, you would still like get something out of looking at each character's facial expressions. In fairness, Chance had but two. Yes, <laughs> but I think that was that was integral to the story. Yeah. He is he as a character, he is extremely stoic to a fault, and I think the fact that he has such limited facial expressions is what, you know, it works with the character. It's not like oh, this, they've drawn this character the same way every time. <laughs> I think that was a choice. Yeah, oh no, 100%. Like I don't I found no fault with the art to the extent that there was a moment that I really want to talk about. But now that we're doing it issue by issue, I'll, I don't know that I remember which issue it's in. Well, show me and I'll I'll make a mental note of it and we'll we'll come back to it. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there in the middle. And you sent me that while you were reading it. So I'll remember yeah, based yeah. on that. Because I liked it that much. Yeah. Uh, my first note, so when I, with a text like this, I'll make more like nitpicky notes at the start. And then as I get on, I was like, I've just got to make broad general notes. And I think that's good as well, because then I've got less notes about the actual like ending and stuff, which is good. Uh, but right at the top, and I don't know if this was like initial creation of this version of the character, but the fact that his surname is Chance, so I was like, is that so on the nose for comic book level, or is that not at all? Well, it's very Marvel, Chris Chance. Well, and DC, because what I always think of in terms of names is well, there's two big ones from either side. One is Doc Ock, like yeah. what are the odds, and Victor Freeze. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you spell it F-R-E-I-S or whatever, but come on. Like, <laughs> we, what are the odds that he would he would happen to get into cryology or whatever it's called <laughs> and freezing stuff? You Cryogenics? Know? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's probably, that sounds right. But yeah, I thought Chance was like, oh, that's... On any other fiction, I'd be like, what are the odds of that? Yeah. But for by comic standards, I'm like, that's a normal name. That's and again, Smith here. This, is <laughs> this isn't a name that Tom King chose when he created the comic book. Like, mm. could, this isn't the first iteration of the Chris, Chris Chance character. And so he kind of had to use the name, didn't he? Mm. Like, he and, couldn't. And he never draws to it. So that kind of tells you, it's like, it's the character's name. I'm not doing anything with it. This is just where we're at. Yeah, exactly. I, I hear that. So very first from the start, I, the extremely detective noir trope is starting from the end. So yeah. showing the end first. That I I don't know enough detective noir to like make specific examples, but that does feel like a a, a common trope of the genre. Mm. I don't know if how many detective noirs you've read or seen, or if you know any more about it or not. Oh yeah, I mean a bit, and it often yeah. I mean it did a thing that you get in noir which you know I don't like in comic books. And mm. it was an undercurrent theme throughout the whole thing, which is his narration. Yeah. 
and I sometimes feel like like his his narration often annoyed me because it was being sometimes it was being used to move the story along, but then at the start of every issue, you got three pages of recap. Yeah, and I'm just kind of like, I know that you're expecting people to read this monthly. And I know that I'm not your target audience, somebody who's reading it for a podcast and just burning through it all in a day. Mm. But also, I fucking know you drank some poison. Yeah. I know how many fucking days ago it was. You need to stop telling me. Yeah. And I, and it, I get that. It really sucked me out of the story. And I think this is often my complaint with comic books is that Tom King came up with an incredible premise. But there was just these little things that kept pulling me out of this great story mm. that he didn't need to do. I didn't need a recap. I didn't need a last time on... Last time on Human Target. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, yeah, I get you. Um, they also did the the second cardinal sin of DC Comics. Oh, the, yes, the, the blank swearing. They did a lot of swears, but they didn't yeah. do any swears. Again, swear words are magic. Swear words are deeply powerful. I use them incredibly frequently. I do not like it when they're bleeped out. Yeah. And, I, and it, I completely am on your side with that. It just bothers me less. And again, this I feel like this story would have been more powerful had I not had that string of bleeps or if I'd had some more concise swearing. There was a lot of swearing and all of it bleeped out and I kind of just went, ugh, I, I, this again. I'm on your side for that. And what specifically? There were parts later on when the tensions get a bit higher where not allowed to talk about it. Yeah, but there's <laughs> but there's strings of swears, and I'm almost like, I if they weren't blanked, I think that would look ridiculous. In the last issue or the penultimate issue where Ice is really having a go at him, and she is just swearing four or five times in a sentence. Yeah. When more of the text is strings of ats and hash signs than actual language, that is bothersome to read. Because in your head, all you're doing is filling in the swear words, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and I think the thing is, if you're implying them that succinctly, because you know it's an American dialect, and we've talked about this before, whereas, you know, with our reliance on fuck in Britain, mm. any one of those swear words could have been fuck. Yeah. But because you know it's an American voice saying these things, you know which swears they're putting in there, either put them in or just use another tool for her to express her anger. Yeah, yeah. The, we, we have one, I mean, I don't want to get too, you know, highfalutin about it, but we have one of the richest languages with one of the deepest lexical pulls. She is, an, she is portrayed as an articulate woman. There are a million ways that she could have expressed her anger that didn't require her to swear. Now, yeah. having her swear is quite powerful in that moment, but not when you're doing it in a medium where you're not allowed to have somebody swear. Yeah. It just bothers me. I just think it's lazy writing. I, I I wouldn't say I wouldn't personally go as far as lazy, but I would say I would say more constricted or needlessly needlessly restricted. But this is the thing: I understand the need for that constraint to be there, right? This is marketed towards younger people, so find more inventive ways for your characters to express their yeah. anger. They don't need to swear. Yeah, I'll, 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 yeah, I'll, I'll retract based on what you've just said. I'll retract what I just said. I've not been swearing through this entire tirade as proof that one can express frustration without the need to swear. Yeah. It's then, very clear right now that I'm annoyed. Not I every, don't need to fuck shit and wank all over it. Not every DC character went to a university for literature degree, though, so... No, but I imagine a lot the of the writers, people writing them <laughs> yeah, did. Yeah. And therein lies the point. Like, <laughs> I think I'm about to make you slightly more angry. Go for it. 
in that uh, I read... So this is part of the DC Black Label, and uh, I read another thing from DC Black Label titled called Rogues, which was a really fun... Don't tell me they had actual swears. They had actual swears in it, yeah. Then and what's it... the fucking point? I know, yeah. I had the exact same thought when I read that one, and I literally I didn't even notice that there was swearing because it just the flowed so well. And yeah. then I went, hang on, they're swearing this. I had to go back to the cover <laughs> and go... Yeah, DC Black Label, 17 plus. And I was like, what the fuck? So yeah, no, exactly. And I, it's a criticism uh, for the publisher. And again, I th- Tom King, he does. I'm a big Tom King fan. I think I generally think he's one of the best doing it right now. I think it's a big criticism. As you say, if you are in that situation that you can't use swears or if you use them, they have to be censored out, then yeah, don't, don't use as many. I think you are totally correct in that. Yeah, and it just it took me out of it so much and it made made some of the characters less believable and it made these really powerful moments that should have really made me feel something feel trivialized. Yeah, to me. And and you know that I mean I know I understand what you're saying about it not necessarily being a complaint specific to this title. It but, was still a choice. But we're talking about this title, right? Yes. Like I can't. And it was it was still a choice. No one no one made him use the swears in the dialogue, censored or not. So I see what you mean by that point. I think for me, like we've said before, I'm more used to it, so it doesn't hit me as bad. It's the boiling but, water that you're sat in as opposed yeah. to the pot I'm jumping in, isn't it? But I completely agree with you as well. And the perk of this whole podcast is if you are a usual comic book reader and you like me, you're used to it, now you get to hear the person going, hang on. That's not good. Shenanigans. Exactly. <laughs> Speaking of the specific issues as well, one thing I want to point out that I really liked is in issue one, they do the snapshots of the days when you go from the end back to the beginning. Yes. And I love that on my second read through because I know what those snapshots are. See, I've only read it once. Exactly. And I didn't get that sense. But did you at least did it at least create some kind of like ooh, this is interesting, like these odd things, like these odd snapshots of the days. I was super knackered last night when I went to sit down to read this. I'd just done a really long walk. For any not, I don't know if they have knackered in America. I genuinely don't know. But if, if they don't, knackered is tired, not us weirdly saying naked. <laughs> <laughs> I may have also been knackered. Um... <laughs> knackered and knackered. Um, and I intended to read one issue and read five. That's a good sign. Yeah, no, it's good. Like it, 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 it was paced really well. Should we get some of the like standard comic literature observations about comic books out of the way before we delve into specific issues? Yes, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, panel layout, really good. I thought it was good. I I thought it was very unique oh. to each each scene. But, it was like it was like bespoke to each scene and issue issue. But it also used so much straight vertical thirds, which mm. I love. Because it's so, it scans so beautifully. It's so easily readable. Like I know, I know, I know why they do those little inset panels, and it's to give you a sense of a conversation happening. Yeah. But one of the things they made really great use of here is to have a full shot, a full shot essentially, a full illustration of both people, and they would say something back and forth to each other, and the conversation went down and across that that single panel. Mm. And to be honest with you, I don't know why anybody does anything different. <laughs> yeah. I, it looked so good. It scanned so well. It was so readable, Ryan. It was so readable. And like infinitely a, good. As an avid Tom King fan, 
not as many uh three by three panels or pages which is normally his thing isn't it yeah but then when i got to one i was like there he is yeah, yeah and no, i do and still I, enjoy them I, and i clocked them as yeah. well do you know there's some people like small tangent there's some people who really take vitriol like against tom king and his work i know yeah <laughs> people really don't like him and all i'll say is if you're one of those people who just dislikes everything he does fair enough like it's subjective like absolutely fair enough if you're one of the people who thinks he's objectively bad I kind of feel like him having critically acclaimed runs on several different comics, like that's enough to be like you're pro- you're in the minority. And I think I think if anybody came to me with a really spicy opinion on Tom King, my first question would be, "You read Human Target? Pretty good." Like it. Mm. it so I all throughout this, and I think a big part of the conversation for me is that there are narrative devices that he used that I do not like. Mm-hmm. There are there are a lot of points where I kind of went that story could have sat on the page better, not in terms of the way it was laid out. It was laid out beautifully, but he could have told that story a bit better. And I think a lot of the people who don't like Tom King and complain about his work often complain about the way he tells a story. Yeah, but he does write a good story. Yeah, um, and and the, and the, and this is the one thing I will say for it. I didn't necessarily always like the way he chose to tell his story, but. That's kind of what we're here for, isn't it? Yeah, and it was. Uh, it sounds like they were more nitpicking criticisms. Well, then. I mean, they're wider criticisms, and I think they're valid criticisms that yeah. I have. But overall, like the story was good. It was a compelling story. He didn't do the thing that a lot of DC and Marvel comic book writers do, which I call the character ex machina. Yeah, where every problem is solved by the introduction of a new character. Oh no, we need the magic MacGuffin. Oh look, Blue Beetle just floated into shot. There was none of that. Yeah, I, like, th- I think every time a new superhero was introduced, it's because Chris Chris Chance had dug up a new little bit of the story or made a really, really um it's because Chris Chance had had a new revelation about what had happened yeah. or it made a quite succinct inference. And he'd then gone and sought that person out. And sometimes it was really challenging for him to get in front of people. Mm. And then sometimes him being around those people was super frustrating for him because it took up more time than he wanted it to. Yeah. There was no point where I kind of felt like, oh, for fuck's sake, another character has come to save the day. Because the thing is, there was no day to save. Mm. And this is the thing about the, the, the wider overarching story that I found really fascinating is that he, we knew he was going to die. He knew he was going to die. There was no day to save. It was just him wanting to work out who had killed him. Mm. He just needed to know. And I think, and this, if you're still reading, you didn't want spoilers. I don't think this is enough of a spoiler, but I think, cause there's so much more. Like if you've read that, if you listen to this and you hadn't read it and you're going to read it, like go out of your way to read it right now. Oh yeah. Um, but one thing that's important as well is his, the way the story gets across that he dies at the beginning. What's good. What other weaker stories would have done is they would have then backtracked the death later on. And I think it's great that they didn't do that here. Um, uh, should we- and his death scene was like kind of powerful, but also really anticlimactic, mm. quite touching. And then what Ice did with his ashes afterwards, super touching. And it kind of, it verged on being saccharine sweet. And then something happened that made it really cool all at the end. Like... Yeah, I know I know you want to take this one issue by issue, but I'm just having fun talking about it as a whole. Yeah, and uh, again, I, th- I think I think there's something to be said here for taking this as a whole. 
I think from this point onwards, as again, like we've given a little bit of the end, but again, if you if you're planning on reading it, stop here, stop listening to it, go read it, then come back. From here on, we're gonna anything could come up. So I think, but I think we've given a good indication of the quality of this comic and why you should read it and what's good about it. Essentially, the bits. What's so good about the story as a whole is how the quality is so intertwined with the story. And we have to get into those bits going forward. You've, you've heard it from us. Go read it. Come back. We'll see you in a minute. Okay. We're just going to keep going. But yeah, and the, the anticlimactic death at the end, I get, it feeds into that noir um, yeah. pat- homage of like nothing's fixed. It's like um, the big one is Chinatown, isn't yes. it? Yes. That kind of like it's inevitable, like bad things are going to happen. You can't stop them. But at least with this, it does give a little bit of brightness at the end where it's not like, um, so like, and everything was fine in the end. It just gives you that little bit of like, yeah, things are bad, but here's some, here's a little nice at the end just to kind of make it the end a bit sweeter. Yeah. And it's like the whole way through we're presented with this character who is really stoic in the face of his demise. Mm. There, There is no... I mean, his whole kind of thing, his the, the you know the old the the underpinning arc of his character is that he saw his dad beg for his life mm. and did not want to die that way, which is why he put himself in a position where he died so many times to so many different people, mm. and he lived it until the very end, until he realised why his dad was begging for his life, and it allowed him to just have that one moment of, by the way, I'm really scared. Yeah, and that touched me. Yeah, that reminded me of if anyone's um, also played Red Dead Redemption 2. There is a scene like that with the main character, and he is just literally like, he's again, like Western cowboy, extremely stoic, very manly. And there is a quiet moment where he just says, I'm scared to die. And that hits you so hard. And on another little tangent, what were we saying before about the swearing? I feel like you kind of have fucked up priorities if you think, oh, um, swears, bad considering your mortality like that's a triple fine. plus win yeah i, I feel yeah. like those are like i'd rather my child know to like no swear words than to really have to grapple with they're gonna die one day like that yeah. feels to me more more of like a life-changing perception altering also going back to that lord of the rings thing i keep harping on about imagine if there'd been no swears through the whole comic and he just looked at ice and said i'm so fucking scared to die see i think in a similar vein I think saving it for Ice's angry rant. Yeah. And then all a bunch, a bunch in that when there hadn't been any. I think yeah. that would have hit. Well, that would have been powerful. Yes. Again, it's moderation, isn't it? Yeah. And do you know what? If it had been that, if it had just been that, I would have forgiven the hash marks. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been, been weird. Like... If, like, we're doing, we're doing censors and then we didn't censor for the last issue. <laughs> but then you could have been like, you could have put on the front, like, look, I know you've been reading it. It's now 18 plus. There's some swears in it just be warned and that could have hit just as hard potentially um come back to what i was saying about the 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 superhero universe being the backdrop against this like detective noir murder mystery i think what encapsulates that for me so well which i really enjoyed especially noticing my second read through the scene when he's in the doctors getting the news yeah he's got 12 days left to live yeah and the doctor who's giving him the news looks like a golden <laughs> age B-tier superhero. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, just yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. And I think that that for me is like the tone of the of the entire well, comic. The thing with it is the the way the way the superheroes are presented is as Silver Age superhero comics. So when you see that single panel of all of the Justice League International, 
what you're seeing is like an Adam West era 1960s Batman costume. What you're seeing is the original Blue Beetle, not the modern one. You're seeing mm. a bunch of very camp, kitschy superheroes, but you see them infrequently. And what I love about the superhero shenanigans in this is that Chance is observing them as you are. So there's that. There's the issue that he spends with Blue Beetle. There's the issue mm. that they spend with Blue Beetle, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. And he watches Ice and Blue Beetle operate, and the whole issue is just like, he should be really fed up and pissed off because he's wait- wasting one of his 12 days just kind of going about and watching Blue Beetle do his day job. But actually, his observation is just watching them operate and mm. just watching the level that they operate on and watching them fight and watching them collaborate together and do this amazing thing. Like, it kind of... He's a spectator to amazing stuff. Like, yeah. even in this universe, people don't see... It's like seeing, like, like emergency services. Like, how often do you see that? Yeah, absolutely. And often in superhero comics where they have the character Ex Machina, where there's just superheroes everywhere and they're popping in and popping out and using their powers to fix every single problem, it kind of trivializes it. But mm. what you see is him going, wow, she's so powerful. Mm. And this whole thing is is almost a kind of... Not so much parody, but like an examination of the superhero genre. Yes. If you are just because the, there's a constant theme of people being like, "Oh, you're a superhero, though, aren't you?" Because he's kind of a part of the world, but not really. And even yeah. he's like, "Am I?" Like he doesn't he doesn't feel like it. Well, I mean, it kind of flirts with the idea of him being enhanced in some way when it talks about his training. Yeah, and the way that he can like get into people's psyche and see the secret that they're holding. Yeah, and his thing being, not the, it's not the mask that fools people, it's the lie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so there's a little bit of him being kind of enhanced, and but really, you know, the fact that the only person that scares him is another non-enhanced person mm. shows you the extent to which he isn't super. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, there's the line I mentioned earlier about the out-of-date hydrogen-oxygen. Yes. Again, reading that initially, I was like, that's bollocks science like particles yeah, don't get out of date yeah, 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 yeah. but when you realize that the the water used to disguise the poison is literally from another time yeah, yeah, yeah so when they says out of date does that and it doesn't do it explicitly but then it go does that mean out literally out of time yeah, like yeah. is that well what that, that's mean? that's what i got from it mm. and i liked i liked that that double i liked that it says, that, oh, this, these particles have gone off. They're, they've left them out a bit too long. Yeah, but what they actually meant is they're like a thousand years old. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I thought that's, that's like Tom King little like nice touches. But they didn't. And, and again, this is, this is the thing that this did really well, that often superhero-y stuff does really badly, is that it really rams an explanation down your throat. Hmm. Gamma rays work exactly this way, and if I go to the top of a building and I cover myself in certain chemicals and get struck by lightning, I will become the Flash. Yes. Dumb. Just saying, there's some particles from a thousand years ago, and for a reason that we all understand, but we're not going to tell the reader, mm. they were the perfect vessel to hide a poison. I'm like, yeah, cool. Yeah, this is this is the system. This this is the world. This is how it works. Yeah, don't, yeah. don't ask can, anymore. You can only annoy me mm. by introducing too much bollocks. In, like the moment you over-explain something. You've over-explained it, and you're mm. the. If you give me something, it needs to be good. If you hold something back from me and just let me fill the gaps in, I'm naturally going to smooth that over and just be able to suspend my disbelief. And yeah. this did a gorgeous job of it. I think there's something to be said for when a story is good enough that it excuses what you like, what could be interpreted as, as um, gaps in the story or gaps in the the 
the science or whatever. Yeah, but there wasn't a gap in the science because they didn't give me any science to have a gap in. It was just no. this this thing has done this thing, and I went all right. But like the the gap you could infer is like why is why is water from another time hide poison? Doesn't yeah. matter because the story's so good that it doesn't need investing in. And I think I think to your point, if people are over explaining stuff, it's because they maybe feel insecure that the story will carry it by itself. So like, oh no, we have to explain everything. I think science fiction in general has a bit of a, um, a f- not a fault, but like a weakness there that like magic based things don't. Because when you say magic, you just go, right, it's magic. It's fine. You know what Asimov said though? Science is just magic we don't understand yet. No. Oh. Any technology that is sufficiently advanced is indistinguishable from magic. I mean, I basically said that, but I'll, I'll take your point. But Asimov said it better. <laughs> I mean, I Because su- he was Isaac Asimov. I summed it up. I abbreviated it quite well. You're I would Asimov? Say. Do you, are you familiar with Asimov? I'm familiar with him. I haven't read any of his work, but... Dude, Foundations. So good. Mm. But like magic, you just be like, it's magic, and people just write off like, fine. But science fiction has that like, well, we know a little bit of science... But they they don't focus on the fiction part. It's like yeah. it just sounds sciencey. Like yeah. it's it's not magic within this world. Yeah, it's still absolutely. essentially magic. Um, I'm definitely made like points of like lines that I really liked. Yeah, and I, I feel like that was an overindulgence a little bit. But you know, I like in the diagnosis scene and the guys immediately like we should call Batman. Like anything, anytime anything's too difficult for anyone, it's like we should call Batman. And Christopher Chance goes. Don't call Batman, my death, my mystery. Yeah. And that's like such a little poignant line. It sums up everything. It sounds cool. Anytime you go, don't call Batman, like I'll handle it. Just automatically elevates whoever says it. Again, I was really charmed by the end when Batman hadn't turned up. Mm. Batman and Superman had not turned up. I was like, yes, they didn't. He didn't go there. Mm. Like there were so many points where he could have gone there and there was a point where he made you think he was going to go there yeah, and he didn't and that was super cool. Yeah, that whole issue, to skip a little bit, that whole issue was possibly one of the best Batman stories I've ever read, Batman issues I've ever read because it didn't have him in. What, number uh, 11? Yes. And not, uh, no, uh, number 10, I think, or 9. It no, was like because right- 10 was the one that had Gnaught in it. All right, 10, 11 and 12 are kind of two-part ender. So I think it's issue nine. Because then at the end of issue nine, he goes, well, Batman didn't come after me. That must mean Guy's still alive. And then 10, they go to the, the lantern place, don't they? Yes, yeah. you, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Which again, cracking issue. Yeah. Like one of my favorites. Exactly. And again, that Batman issue is so good because it just, it gets, it's, it's like the, what's it, like waiting for Goddard kind of thing? Yeah. Where it's like the character who's only talked about and never introduced you find out so much about this character and the fact that Christopher Chance is so scared of him and he's like I've made this thing that no one else would figure out as fake except for Batman and he explicitly says as well which I love about his character he goes I'm really good at what I do but there are there is someone who is better than me and when they figure out we are fucked like this was a break in case of emergency get away and that's thing. the only reason I knew it was Batman that he was scared of, not Superman. Mm. And he they he leaves it till way at, near the right end, of, at that the end issue. of the issue when they're already safe. But you and, and you goes, know it's Batman. It's ba- you, well, yeah, the, and this is it. And he never says Batman, mm. but you know he's running from Batman. And like you, they get to the point where she builds him the ice house, and you know how the cold has been like a protective factor for him, and mm. it's been like his source of comfort like for the entire run. And she builds him an entire like fortress of cold, essentially. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, Batman's not coming. And he literally, he is operating as if the someone who's capable of anything is after him. Yeah, because he says, you know, he, he, he goes into really exacting detail. And again, 
these are the moments where I loved his narration. Mm. Are the moments where everything gets a little bit frenetic. And actually, often I find it really annoying when the narration slows down action. But when he does it, it's quite concise. It is the action. Yeah, well, his narration. Yeah, you're, I think you're right. His narration becomes the action. Because otherwise, it's just them driving through the desert and he looks a bit squirrely. Yeah, absolutely. The narration is like, he's literally running through like, if he does this, then I can do this. If he does this, then I have to do this. Oh, oh he's going to do this. And... But also, I've thought of the 12 things he could do, hmm. which means there's a thousand more that he knows about that yeah. I don't. But there's that moment where he says, the one thing you don't do when you be you think you're being followed is look back. Mm. And then the next panel, he's looking over his shoulder and you're like, oh, that's so good. Like, I just get a sense that you're not using your training because you're scared and you showed me that instead of telling mm. it to me. Really great. Imagine really great. For, a, for a comic with so much narration, it's one of the best show don't tells I've ever seen. Yeah. And even within the narration, narration... People think show don't tell literally means actions versus words. Yeah. But show showing through narration is like he's telling you things and you infer what yeah. the comic is trying to tell you. Yeah. Like exactly that. Um, I would love to see someone who doesn't know Batman, which is like, you know, when they do like, you know, like Trump going on trial. It's like we have to find jurors who don't know who Donald <laughs> Trump is. Like, what? We're uh, gonna go look under some rocks. Yeah. Imagine finding someone who doesn't know anything about Batman and then you give them this issue. And you're like, what do you think of this character? Like, yeah. it, it elevates Batman so high without him literally doing anything. It's yeah. just purely his reputation. Um, the bit where he punches the guy or gets punched and punches the guy in the diner. I don't know if you'd get the reference, but Batman or Bruce Wayne has another alter ego. And it's a disguise he uses to be like kind of like in criminal elements. Oh, and it's, right. it's an alias called Matches Malone. And there's a bit where this is like, if you pick up, he's looking at this guy and he goes, hmm, no match. Because he always, he's matches Maloney, always has a match in his mouth. He goes, oh. no match. But I think that could, but he might know that I know that. That makes sense mm. now. I did think, I, I, I thought they were trying to get across a sense of his um, delirium. I thought they were trying to get across a sense that he wasn't operating at full capacity. I didn't realize that was a deep cut. That's that's even better now that I know that. That's really cool. I think that's one of those things that it rewards you if you know the universe, but it doesn't it doesn't hinder it if you don't. And the best thing of the Batman issue, like for me, was his not being present in the issue that's yeah. all about him essentially actually furthers the story. Yeah. Because by him not showing up, that tells chance. That must mean guy's still alive, because otherwise, if he believed he was dead, he would be after me trying to get us. And that, like, the non a non-action being a pivotal whole issue story, yeah. Then furthering it after that, I thought was because then if that hadn't happened, it would have feel like oh they had to do a Batman issue without Batman, like a yeah. novelty. But the end kind of justifies. Yeah, it makes this sense. is why it happened. So that that whole issue, one of my favorites. Um, I mean. It at the start of the issue, I felt like it was a big change of time because this very stoic character who's been approaching the problem of his own death with quite a lot of stoicism and quite a measured approach is mm. suddenly shitting himself. Mm. But then you get to the end of it and it all makes sense and it's quite justified. Yeah. And yeah, it was cool. Yeah. Like it definitely made sense, didn't it? And speaking of the use of characters, um, the use of Ice as a character, like in her introduction alone... This uh, is that, issue two, isn't it? Yes. That, for me, was, again, one of the tropiest 
noir tropes is the beautiful woman waiting in the office. Yeah, absolutely. And as some women you just don't say no to. Exactly. And that felt very like on the nose <laughs> homage, but how often do you see that in superhero comics? Like yeah. again, like you said, Batman earlier. Batman always it kind of flirts with the noir elements. Yeah. But this was like if you took out the superheroes, it's just a noir story. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what I love especially is in noir's detective mysteries, murder mysteries, whatever. There's always this thing about the femme fatale and the yes. fact that she, the detective immediately in his inner monologue, he's like, she's dangerous. Uh, she'll, she'll get you killed. She'll, she'll eat you alive. Like that kind of thing. It's always like by getting close to this woman, you are putting yourself in danger, but she's so not even just attractive, but like so alluring and mm. tempting that you, you throw caution to the wind. At so what point did you realize it was her? <laughs> uh, no, probably not till the end. I, I, I didn't, I read it in a way where I wasn't like who did it. Yeah. I was more kind of like what's happening. Because it was a who done it. It was a who done it, absolutely. <laughs> but it was such a rich story. It was such rich characters that I were normally who done it when the who done it is the main thing is because it hasn't got much else. Or the characters might be like fun or a little interesting, but the who does the main thing. Yeah. For me, I was like, I was chance what is he gonna do next like what how is he oh, reconciling with all this 100 percent, i totally bought it all mm. but it was the point at which he started being suspicious of fire mm. and ice was very protective all of a sudden and i'd not really seen that kind of aggression from her i was like <laughs> see i i just took that at the face value yeah because that's how well it's written that she was just the best friend and she was just you know like couldn't imagine anything happening because also the twist could have also been it was fire and that could have been like Oh, it was her, but it wasn't. And then it was. And that's kind of what it did with Ice. Like, yeah. everyone is a suspect until they're not, but then they could be again, as, yeah. as is what happened. And for, like, Guy especially as well, because he was a patsy at one point as well for that. But... Guy's but, a fucking cock. Yeah. Is it because he, he's not... a He's not a particularly well-used Green Lantern these days, is he? No, not anymore. Uh, just before we go off ice, I was say the what I liked was how, again, the trope of the woman who's dangerous to be around yeah. is literally dangerous to be around because yeah. of her power and that for me was the best use combining using superhero shenanigans to uh do a modern version of an old trope take out the paternal relationship between wolverine and rogue i think her name was yeah he does he has paternal relationship with a lot of uh younger x-men but she's one of them yeah. yeah 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 but take away the paternal relationship and the idea that like her touch could kill him mm. it's kind of that same vibe isn't it yes exactly like power that's dangerous to be near and using superpowers for character traits is is just is it's at its best i think when it does this kind of stuff i think there's something i th i mean i kind of feel like the idea of an uncontained power is something that you see more often with women in superhero stuff yeah so generally i mean other, other than cyclops who without his glasses you know his his thing will just like everywhere yeah. There's more female superheroes whose powers are dangerous to be around or uncontained in some way. And I feel like there's some less than positive subtext going on there. Yeah, I think that's definitely a uh, stereotypical, um, what's it, the, um, the hysterical woman, isn't it? That, yes. is, that is a trope that I thought you, uh, it still gets used even if people aren't realizing they're her doing it. Her womb is wandering and so her eyes powers are dangerous to be around, right? Yeah. Um, and so there was some element to that I kind of thought, oh, that could have been dealt with better. But then... She wasn't just there to drive the story along. She well, was a very fully-fledged character. Yeah. She didn't pass the Bechdel test. <laughs> no, this, this story doesn't, but it's because it has a male main character who is the extreme focus. So I get what you mean. Yeah, but why pass the Bechdel test? 
yeah, but why wasn't always on Yorick? This is always on chance, isn't it? Yeah. But, but it's you his, see my point. Y- yeah, it doesn't she, pass the Bechdel test, but I, I think there's a reason for that. Where so something like why is There's is, never a good reason for it. <laughs> well, I think but then it's like it's like why does Shawshank Redemption not pass the Bechdel test? Because it's set in a man's prison. Like yes. there are there are situations. The Bechdel test isn't if it's good if it passes and the bad if it doesn't. It's if you do have like a more ensemble characters yeah. or characters just talking with each other and there's not one singular person in every scene, a main, main character, then you should have women having normal conversations that don't mm. revolve around the male characters. But there are examples and situations where that's not the case. And I think this is one of them. Possibly. Yeah. I don't know. But, um, um, but when you say about the hysterical women and their powers or yeah. that portrayal, I think in this, at least she does have some like, just to warn you like there's parts where i can't control it but she's not out of control at any point she yeah no she she has control and i think there's a fun juxtaposition between the way that she her the 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 warmth that he gets from her cult (laughs) is juxtaposed really nicely to the quite hedonistic sexual gratification that john gets from fire's powers well what's interesting about that is me knowing this stuff the, well, the super shenanigans isn't his race scared of fire exactly yeah. yes so that it's it's like a mirror to what chance is doing with ice it's literally the same thing it's he, he's literally getting with someone who is dangerous for him to be around but he can't help it and john especially is like stoic to a fault as well well the difference is he cries afterwards yes <laughs> and they hopefully do, you won't cry this time <laughs> there is a bit of a running joke i think in comics where marsh manhunter kind of gets shit on sometimes mm. like he's famously like they people refer to him like oh he's as powerful as superman or wonder woman because of his powers but then bit of fire and he's done like um there's been in just well, no a bit of fire and he's a gooey mess on the corner of the bed a lot of fire and he's done yeah well <laughs> depending on the whatever the written is because um there's been injustice where it's like ooh, martian manhunter he can take down this now evil superman and superman just laserize him and he's like right you're gone and then there's a part in like an animated movie where it's like the justice league coming together and batman discovers john jones john johns i think his name is um as a martian and he literally says like i found two aliens i've discovered two aliens on this planet one of them to defeat i would need to purchase an extremely rare and expensive uh mineral that's hard to find for you i just need a box of matches (laughs) and that's like they're always like subtly shitting on martian manhunter for some reason but um but yeah uh you were about to touch on guy gardner who i think is a big plot point within this he's he's well written to be hated yeah no they did a great job with him he's just yeah. a cock <laughs> that that whole um baby i'm i'm trying to protect my you girl, like, that's, my girl yeah stay away from my girl and the girl's yeah. like i'm not yours like that's like such a annoying like characteristic that's yeah. so well done just like that that sense of possession over women and like they do a they use the inherent sexism as that in that to make him a point of ridicule Mm. and so there's a power in that but yeah it does it, it it's like an idea of heterosexual relationships that i feel like needs to go fuck itself yeah <laughs> do you and, know what i mean yeah and i think there's something to be said for this being based so much off that justice league international run which i think was from like the 90s maybe or even maybe older well, yeah so do you know much about it no I, knew, I i didn't know before i read this i knew nothing about it mm. and it was the like in my research i got a little i got kind of did a bit of research on the martian manhunter 
did a bit of research on Guy and did a bit, a bit of research on um, Human Target. Human Target. Yeah. She. I keep wanting to call him the Manhunter. I don't know why. <laughs> um and yeah no the jli stuff just kind of passed me by so i was really hoping you would have some context for me well all i know is i said it was it was a team from before and you know like the avengers has different iterations like this is uh, you know just even justice league like this is just the dark they do dark magic stuff you know there's always those kind of things um but for me it felt like this one was really based on that snapshot of that particular run yeah and one of the key points that tom king draws from that is in that run there is a part where Guy Gardner is kicking off against everyone and Batman's like, if you don't shut up, I'm going to punch you or something like that. Right. And Guy's like, you couldn't, fuck, you couldn't do anything even if I didn't have my ring. In fact, I'll take it off. And he passes on like, here, hold my ring while I like even the playing field. And then he gets murked. Gets knocked out, yeah. <laughs> and that panel basically buried the character for years after. Right. The one bit, I, I have read a good Guy Gardner story or the story that he was in and it was one of the, from a, recently not too recent ago a supergirl run where she became a red lantern and guy garner was a red lantern and the whole point of that was red lanterns were meant to be fueled by anger but guy was the kind of mentor for supergirl to be like anger itself is inherently bad like the red lanterns have been bad because they were led by a guy called atrocitus oh so they both became green lanterns or red lanterns red lanterns right okay so the point was the red the red ring finds someone in a moment of anger because that's the vibe and imagine supergirl with a red ring yeah that's that's i think i read power. that around the time that we read them yeah unlimited power yeah. <laughs> i mean it helps but the whole point is it's channeling your anger and yeah. it's and that it's not necessarily a bad thing if you channel in the right way and guy Gardner becomes like a bit of a mentor to supergirl for that so he was good in that i've he's been an asshole in everything else i've yeah, read him in. absolutely but yeah, that that shot of him getting punched by Batman, I think Tom King was like, I'm going to do that several times <laughs> in this somehow. Well, again, you know, it's interesting because so much of what Guy does is really brilliant. No, what, what Chance does. Yeah. But then at the end, you find out that Ice has been guiding his hand the entire time. <laughs> well, I think only up till the point where she needed him to take the rap. So that happens yeah. a bit later when, when Chance gets to... Marsha Manhunter and then yeah. fire and she says as soon as he got to fire in his investigation she was like shit we need to do something and that's when she goes guy like yeah guy I need you to help me out with this and guy's just an idiot so he just goes along with anything yeah, anything for my girl yeah exactly anything for my girl in it <laughs> I like I love how they use the Green Lantern ring in this yeah the law of the ring being used in this like Christopher Chance just knows all about the superhero shenanigans yeah. and he's, pla- he's he's very similar to Batman. He's yeah. got plans in place for all this kind of stuff. But for for a guy especially, it's because he chatted to one of the cooler Green Lanterns in Jon Stewart and they he was a Marine so they and had this Hal? war. He didn't talk to, he talked to Jon Stewart and Hal joined the, not the original, but like the Silver Age, yeah. most well-known one. He's like the leader of the Earth area lanterns and you see the the guy be like i'm sorry how like i didn't mean like (laughs) he basically chris called dad and was like i'll call your dad over and he'll sort you out but then he pretends but dad doesn't actually come he pretends to be dad and that's dope because he actually very rare that he actually uses his abilities and his skills in this and so that one moment where he does you're like yeah that was dope that was pretty fucking cool Mm. man (laughs) and there's a big thing with like green lantern stuff whenever they interact with like people like chance or like batman who are mm. just very knowledgeable about the stuff there's a bit in like an animated um justice league thing where batman 
literally steals the ring off of Hal's hand. Yeah. And Hal's like, how would you do that? And and he's looking at it, like, hmm, no buttons or anything. I assume it must work off concentration, which it does. Yeah. And he's like, how do you how did you steal off my hand? He goes, well, you weren't concentrating. Yeah. Well, and, and, and Chance does the same thing. Yeah. When he when he thinks he's killed Guy, it's he punches him not to actually hurt him, but to break his concentration for long enough that Ice can do her thing. Really cool. Yeah, exactly. And again, just a, a great use of super shenanigans in this story so you know ryan reynolds green lantern yeah which one is he he was hal jordan so he was Hal. he yeah, was the yeah. cool one he was the cool fighter pilot who becomes a green lantern yeah, yeah. i think one thing that I, I noticed as a super fan and this is just a tiny tangent but dc and comic listeners i think will agree to this dc does a thing where people just randomly get powers whereas marvel don't do that with a lot of their characters, but they have the X-Men, which is that entirely. Yeah. So DC has like a, oh, and then they discover they were metahuman and they had powers. Whereas Marvel is like, that doesn't just randomly happen unless you've got the X-Gene and then it does happen. Yeah, which is one and the same to me. Like, I don't really see a distinction there, I'm yeah. being honest with That's you. That's what I'm talking to my fellow basement-dwelling comic book nerds. Like, uh, we, we know what's up. Yeah, we, yes, yes. We, we know what's happening. Yeah. And again, with the little... um the lines that i like yeah go for it i um, mean what like in your notes which issue were we up to at the moment i i, I don't mark about it. i just make them as i go so we're right. just generally kind of going in a chronological order but we're we're jumping around as well we i think we're meeting halfway on this we structure are, yeah. thing <laughs> um the bit where he's tempted to go back in the hotel room with uh ice yeah and he just says he says i've got 11 days left and then he just looks at her and he goes who needs 11 days well he kind of he keeps saying don't don't get out of the car don't go up don't go up oh yeah i've done it and then he's like i've i've stayed in the car and he's like but let me walk you to your door yeah. and he's like angry himself like you you idiot and then he's like don't go in and then she kind of cracks the door a little bit and he goes oh their whole relationship's really sweet yeah one of the best relationships i've seen in comics it's and, it, and it it really like it gave me the feels for the times in my life where i've been swept up in a new relationship like that mm. Like where when you were dying from a poison and you had twelve days to live. Yeah, that time. Yeah, yeah. that time before I got the secret serum. Yeah, um, <laughs> Charles was an idiot. He didn't think of that. Yeah, he, he didn't. He didn't. It's a comic book. He could have got a secret serum. Yeah, of course. He just needed to go and ask the right dude. It, if it had gone to Batman. Yeah, can you put me in the Lazarus pit? Do you find one of those? Yeah, Batman would have just been like, "My guy, I've got a thing. Like, yeah. You're a pretty good detective. You'll be useful at some point." Here you go. He's just—it's his rigid stoicism. It's like I will not ask Batman for help <laughs> to solve the murder. No, to save my life. Like not even that. I'm going to be honest with you. Like I want to see a run where Chance has like money. Mm. I want to see a run where he's got Batman's gear. Imagine him with Batman's kit, but just in a suit. Like yeah. in a nice suit, just it, cutting about. It'd be amazing. The the unfortunate thing is the reason this is so good. Part of the reason is because the character's dead and gone. Yeah, that he might if he comes back, it's not this character. No, like it's, it's not going to be anywhere even, near this good. No, even if it's the same name and everything. And this is the problem I had early on reading things like Tom King's runs. I'd yeah. be like, oh, I love this character now. Mm. Then I read another version. Uh, I go, oh, it was the writing good. that, I, and that was kind of one of the earliest like this is how important good comic book writing yeah, is because it makes you think oh i love this character now it's part of the it's... reason that we do this once a week exactly yes um i made a note of a line which i thought you <laughs> i don't know if you would have noticed or not <laughs> and it is kind of play tongue-in-cheek but when they when he goes to the um the lantern planet and they're yeah. talking about like knowing the all the things going on between lantern yeah. communications 
and he literally calls it cosmic wiretaps. Yeah. I was like, I wonder if Jamie's going to yeah. like kick off of that. <laughs> but it was said in like a, a layman's term. Like, it wasn't like, this is the cosmic treadmill. It was like... There was also an undercurrent sense that he was taking the piss out of Gnaught a little bit. Yeah, I think... Do you know what I mean? He was Poor trying... Gnaught. Yeah, he was trying to be... The difference, I think, was he was generally trying to be nice to Gnaught's face. Well, he liked Gnaught. Yeah. Like, he likes Gnaught. He just... And this is the thing. He liked Ted. Like, he spoke really highly of Ted, and he kind of said at one point, you know, Ted's just a really great guy mm. who just wants to do the right thing. But I think Chris Chance's power as a character and the thing that he was trained for is being able to observe when somebody's useful. Yeah. And, being, and, and, and making use of them for the end that you have of them. One of the things that makes him really great at his job is that these people who everyone else outwardly takes the piss out of, he doesn't. Mm. And so when he approaches them and like, you know, Ted had no reason to help him. But when he approached him, he was like, hey, man. Yeah. Glad to help. I'm busy, but I will try it if you want to yeah, come yeah. with me. And then he spent a day with him and he didn't quite get what he wanted. So mm. he's propped him up at the bar at the end of the night and went, right, last resort. Let's get mm. you drunk. And a little line when he's getting in his suit, he's going through the conveyor belt. Yeah. And that one line of like, um, something that I didn't know to down for some reason, but it was something along the lines of like, you kind of have to believe that I've got nothing to hide or I can't hide anything. And, he's and then he's naked. naked in front of him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little, little fun, little bit, fun bit of context. So I've met Ted twice now. Mm. Both times. Total dude. Yeah. Yeah. He's like a fun Batman. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why he's good friends with Booster Gold, who yeah. is the, one of the funnest characters you could hang around with. Booster, Booster's Bagels, man. Booster's Bagels, so funny. The whole, the running joke about pre-toasted, <laughs> completely unnecessary, he which makes right it so much fun. He gets right the and he's like, the bread cat making people sick. I even tried pre-toasting, <laughs> yeah. but it didn't work. And everyone's like, that's not a thing. <laughs> well, no, not in Booster's Bagels, it's not. <laughs> And just that's an example of great writers just seemingly like between them, between different writers, capturing the essence of characters. Yeah, 100%. I, I've said this to you off air about uh, one of my favorite characters in Marvel is uh, Mr. Sinister from yeah. the X Men. And everyone just seems to nail yeah. that. And it's not an easy, simple character. He's he's a bit of a goof, but he's got the heart under it, and he's. You very sent me funny. that one fantastic panel the yeah. other day, didn't you? But also, Booster, he always has the back and forth with um his little robot, who yeah. I can't remember the name of, and there's going to be some super nerds screaming at me right now for that. But they always have the great back. It's like the 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 straight man and funny man from like a comedy duo. The most straight man is literally a logical clinical robot who is just correcting him at every turn. But also, looks a bit silly. Yeah, it's just like a funny little Because again, thing. the supers here all look super camp because they're like Silver Age design. They have, they're, there's a very Silver Age design aesthetic that runs through all the supers, isn't there? Yeah. Except for Ice, who just looks yeah. fucking swish. Well, you do see her in a... entire time. I think she gets costumed up when she's teaming with um, with Blue Beetle. And I th and towards the end, when they're, she's doing Justice League stuff and, you know, Marshman has like, oh, actually, you know, and all that bollocks. But... um. But yeah, I think the color scheme and everything, it has that 60s vibe. But because you point out, because it's kind of more muted colors, yeah. it's not in your face, no. but it feels part of everything. It looks fantastic. Mm. There's so many lines. Like I said about noting lines, like a lot of them that I noted down was, I literally was just kind of in awe of like how smooth they made chance. Yeah, super like smooth as butter. Mm. And then there's this great moment that I sent you a screenshot of when I was reading it, where... Uh, guy says, "This isn't your fight. You're not one of us. Go back. Go back. Go back to dying." Yeah. And the text starts to fade because he's just knocked him out, and so that is chance. Like that's 
chance fading out as yep. he's speaking to him. And I'm like, oh my god, you made you made the great you made a gradation of color across a text box tell story. That's yep. cool. That's like I've never seen that before. It's such a great idea. It should be used more for how often characters get knocked out in these kind of things. Right? Yeah. It just it made perfect sense instead of there just being dots. Hmm. Instead of just using a couple of ellipses, they actually you watch him fade out, but you don't watch him fade out. You watch his perspective fade out hourly. Yeah. That's really clever. Yeah. The specific lines that I found so smooth is like he's talking when he's walking ice to the door, yeah. and there's a, the, the, the sexual tension is there, yeah. and it's, he says something like, "Oh, you like people don't surprise me or something," and she's like, "Oh, I oh I guess I didn't surprise you," and he says, "Not at all. I had high expectations, and you met them." And that sounds like a like an interviewer like review, but it's just like such a high praise in a very stoic way, like just yeah. matter of factly, like I think you're awesome. I I I aspire in my life to at least once look that good in a suit and be that smooth when I talk in it. Do you know what I mean? Like it is smooth, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And I was literally looking. I was like, how can I be that smooth? It's, it's like as smooth as an expensive cigar, mate. Like I, I think the only way to do it is to literally hire Tom King just to be a piece <laughs> in your ear. And even then, I think you need to give him time. Like he, <laughs> he might not be able to come up with the, off the cuff. He's a comic book nerd. Of course, he's not that smooth. <laughs> well, comic book writer, that might be a different breed. I feel like to be a comic book writer, you have to be the uber nerd. Like Alan Moore. Alan, Mo- Alan Moore's not a nerd. I mean, he what? Have you seen early photos of him? Oh, he looks fucking weird. Yeah. But he never a nerd. Always a wizard. I think he became a wizard. Always a wizard. I don't think you're born a wizard. Right, I'm gonna you 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 make you make your next point, and I'm gonna look up a picture of young Alan Moore because we need to settle this because this is slander of the highest order. Well, the point I was gonna make, and I think you might want to weigh in on this. This might be, dare I say, one of the sexiest comics I've ever read. The slowly building tension between these just amazing looking, like ridiculously attractive characters, and it builds attention in a way and then it transfers so subtly from from sexual tension to emotional tenderness yeah and it way it goes into that and it dips in and out of that you you like seamlessly super sexy. jumps in between it yeah super sexy yeah. sexy comfy like it, it jumps <sighs> in and out but this is the thing right like that that sexual tension and that sexiness kind of stops being sexy when it's transactional i think what makes it so powerful and so sexy is that they slip out of that into something more tender, but then back into it again the next morning when they get up and they're just going about their business. Yeah. And you're like, you two are both, not not to get too punny here, cold as ice. <laughs> like, they are ice cold. Yeah. By the way, I've found a photograph. An old photo of Elmore. Yeah, where he couldn't look less nerdy. Right. <laughs> that is a man who is stomping on the far right. For reference, guys, it's Alan Moore with very long brown hair and beard with his hands in the pockets of a very tight pair of vintage Levi's and he's got a red vest on with the hammer and sickle on it. Yeah, I saw someone was doing a jokey (laughs) fan casting of comic book writers because that was never happened. It's just a dumb thing. But the one they picked for Alan Moore, like one of his early days, like that era, Christian Bale. Oh, a long head. Yeah, no, yeah. He'd nail it, yeah. Joe, don't tell that we were talking By about the way, earlier. Oh, for um, Brian K. Vaughan. Someone bald. Jason Statham. <laughs> <laughs> or a fucking Brian K. Vaughan, sunshine. <laughs> Have the old apples and pears assassinate somebody, you know? 
I'm fucking writing Saga, one of the most amazing <laughs> space operas you've ever fucking seen. <laughs> it's really fucking heartfelt and emotional, you know? I need you to fucking electrocute my art so I can keep going. <laughs> so I could keep writing these really <laughs> deep characters. <laughs> I think this is the dumbest joke we've ever, <laughs> the dumbest tangent we've ever gone on. It's an on. insult to both Brian K. Vaughan and Jason Statham. But they're both far more successful than us, so, so why, it why should they We're care? only punching up. Exactly. And the <laughs> fact that they're so far above us is fine, especially Jason Statham. He just fought a bloody shark. Like, <laughs> Oh yeah, he did, didn't he? A giant shark. Twice, I, I think. I assume. I haven't seen them, but... <laughs> I assume he wins at the second one. But he was in Snatch, so, you know, he's golden. Uh, Snatch in Lockstock, obviously. Like He wasn't of... in Lockstock. Yeah, he was. He wasn't the main character, but he is in Lockstock. No, is he? Yeah, of course he is. He's one of the four, the four main boys. Oh, yeah. I'm so sorry. It was one of his first acting roles, because he was like a model before then or something. Yeah, there's. A, I think we've talked about this on the podcast. There's a great music video for like an EDM chart from yeah. the 90s. And there's like a skyscape... And in in the in the sky is Jason Statham like pumping his crotch dancing in a mankini. Fucking fabulous. Yeah. I mean like, he looks amazing. Well, yeah, ridiculous. He's but amazing. Cut. He's always been cut, hasn't he? Like Yeah, of course. <laughs> Back to the comic. As as <laughs> I feel like that might be a running phrase of the podcast now. Back to the Back comic. Back to the comic. <laughs> um The Show Don't Tell, I really enjoyed them getting closer on Blue Beetle Ship. They, yes. it's very, it's all just panels as them just slowly getting closer, and it's it's not a it's not a rarely used trope, but I thought it was well done, especially for a comic medium. But again, so relatable, the idea of like, you know, you you're a teenager, you're at a house party, and you end up getting sat quite close to somebody you fancy. And for reference, Blue Beetle says, "Oh, there's one seat in the back. It's small, but I think you'll both fit." Mm. And then the way they show it is progressive panels through the whole issue, like. Whole bits of action happen, and then every time they cut the, to them back in the spaceship, one of their hands is just a little bit closer. Yeah. And it ends with just a third panel right in the middle of the page of her hand, like on his inner thigh. Yeah, and it's like, oh, it's just so good, isn't it? Yeah, and it's it, again, so good. building tension. There's other stuff going on. Blue Beetle's still talking. Yeah, and you, this always happens when like a third person is talking to the other two people, like. And what and what you see is a chance that's really good at interrogating people who doesn't get what he wants out of bed until the end of the day when she goes to bed and he gets him drunk. And it almost feels like him getting him drunk because he says, oh, I need a drink. Do you want to get a drink, Ted? And you're like, yeah, you've been drinking the whole time. That makes sense. Yeah. But then you realize, well, he's been drinking this whole time and he's been operating at quite a high level. Ted's quite straight cut. Yeah. Ted gets blackout drunk and that's when he gets the intel out of him. Yeah. And it's like, maybe... And just by asking. Yeah, and maybe if Ice hadn't been there in that mm. ship and he'd had more time to talk to him, he would have done it more subtly. Mm. But it's like, he was like, fuck, it's been all day. That's, that's when a great text of any kind, it gives you that room for a bit of headcanon. When, when you read or watch anything and it requires headcanon to make sense, that's bad. But when you've got things like this, where there's gaps where you think, ooh, this, this is a little interesting, interesting thing in my head that adds to this but it doesn't require it at all. I think that's a mark of a great text. I think that's inevitable when you just read a good story because yeah. they're not going to put every little tiny detail in there. So you just infer some things, whether the writer intended it or not. I want more of the characters. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I just want I just want to read more Tom King. Like, this is the level where he operates at for me. And 
most yeah. of the time. There's a there was a Batman run that kind of petered out, and he had to stop it, and someone took over and stuff he set up. Basically, Batman married Catwoman, and everyone's like, "Oh my god, this is great!" We talked about this. Yes, yeah. Um, one last point that I kind of want to get into. Uh, we were saying about how great the Batman issue was. Yeah, I would rank alongside that the Martian Manhunter issue. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it brings some weird, sexy stuff in, and it and I and I suppose it's a it's an interesting. It highlights just how sexy the Chance and Ice stuff has been mm. by showing you a sexual relationship that isn't particularly sexy but very kinky. Yeah. The like whole, they're having some kinky sex. The whole the the Martian Manhunter is like stoically trying to resist, and Fire's just like, "I've got you wrapped around my finger." Yeah. And, and John's just like, "Oh God!" But again, you know, a lot of kinky sex is about power dynamics. Oh, hundred yeah. percent. And 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 you know, people who engage in that kind of stuff will have explicit conversations about where the power dynamic for the scene that they're going to do together is. Yeah. Weird parlance, but that's how they talk about it. Sure. Um. And and you see that power dynamic being played out in a different way in that relationship mm. from an infinitely more powerful person. It feels a little more like the um, a bit more of a toxic version of what Ice and Chance have. And what Ice and Chance have isn't exactly healthy because of the circumstances, but they make it healthy. They yes, they the their attraction for each other and develops into their love for each other makes elevates it higher whereas marsh manhunter and fire feels a bit more carnal a bit more animalistic like because honestly when i you know that scene at the end where ice and fire were sat on the sofa together and fire was kind of trying to console ice in her grief but really not doing a very good job because she was just concerned with the practical consideration of is anybody gonna know that we did this right yeah exactly and i kind of went fuck you like she loves him and i got a little bit angry because mm. I was like, no, you're not. You're, oh, you're missing the point. She's grieving, mm. and but you can also understand from a from a third character's perspective, they did just know each other for like uh, just over a week. Oh, hundred percent. I fully get why they did that. And mm. and again, I didn't hate the character because it was an interaction that didn't make any sense to me. Yeah. It. I think it did exactly what Tomkin wanted it to yeah. do. You felt it made like me feel a way. A friend with good intentions, but isn't helping. Yeah, and the it's best just like way. you don't understand. You you weren't there, man. Yeah, you didn't see like we saw, right? <laughs> and there's, I think there's a there's a trope in like action films and stuff where you know a hero and the their love interest will will d- develop a romance over a short time because of high octane situations. Yeah. And I think this especially, you've got all these this subtext of she might have killed me, Ice knowing that he that she essentially killed him that they're just getting close to each other for information and it's this the whole deception almost All of in the way. subterfuge yes and that's that heightened tension is what creates this dynamic where they not only become attracted to each other but also fall for each other it's yeah. it's the a scenario unlike any other where love has developed in a quicker time because of all this other emotion and secretly it's what all men want <laughs> all men want to just be frozen to death mid-sex <laughs> that glorious moment i mean we're saying that in the middle of a british summer so that's uh <laughs> that's where we're i want to be from. frozen to death during mm. any activity mate yeah. <laughs> but when when i was going uh to the marsh manhunter issue yes, i love the the whole brain it, like the psychic battle that's going on over the passing the salt action yes which is which is directly um 
explicitly said when the woman who trained Chads in this psychic warfare was like, I could do this over you passing the salt. Like, that's how quickly this all happens. And I do love, there's a lot of stuff in superhero stuff because there's a lot of psychic powers when it comes to superheroes. There's normally these like very uh, vague terms of like psychic defenses and things like yeah. that a character will be like oh this one psychic character gave me psychic defenses or some or some other term and it's like there's like physical walls in his mind or something the doctor strange approach yes and and done a, like x-men do a lot with xavier and gene yeah. gray and stuff like that but here it wasn't just a oh i've trained you in defenses it literally explains how the defenses work and you rarely see that in this kind of stuff it kind of explains how it works but again it does the thing that i really liked from earlier where it doesn't really it shows you it shows you how he she taught him it doesn't Mm. actually tell you how it works well it it, for me i felt it explained it in the layman's terms so it's like think of it like this and then it just like cosmic wiretaps it's just like so we saw a teaching tool that she used Mm. but it didn't give us a bunch of neurological babble or psychobabble mm. to tell us how it worked it was like we saw him learn it and we saw the way that she taught it to him and so it, it rooted it in another very grounded relationship that he had even though we don't see that relationship with his mentor play out over the page a whole lot it was still really grounded like the idea that she's in lex luther's pocket and he is i think that was her. someone that was someone else oh it, it looked like luther to me I think I just inferred it was someone else because they didn't explicitly, for me, explicitly uh, show right, okay. it was some other person who had this woman's, the keys to her ship, and then that yeah. turned into chance getting them back for her. But I just love, I love the analogy of you're holding on to a thought and they can't get it from you because you can, anyone can psychically hold on to a thought and protect yeah. her, but then they start opening your other thoughts and you scramble to protect all these they pull all these other things that aren't the things you're hiding but things you're embarrassed by and instead of he couldn't he couldn't develop actually holding on and hiding and like retaining the thoughts so she's like well if you can't do that take down the walls they'll rush in thinking with the resist thinking you have the resistance they'll stumble in and then you can get in their mind and the way it shows there is when you start seeing marsh manhunter in chances memories yeah. and you go oh he's in there now like he didn't mean to be and now he is and then you see marsh manhattan's memories and yeah. the way it, it tells us all it tells us all in the layout and the, the panels and just a little bit of explanation from the woman that's not to do with what's happening currently yeah absolutely it gives you some context for what's about to happen yeah does a great job of it doesn't and it? then the entire entire scene is literally at the end he passes the salt and i think yeah that was just for me that was as good as the batman one. it was a whole issue of build-up that you could have missed yep like you could have missed that that could have you know what i mean like it yeah it was really good and again it results in a piece of information that furthers the investigation so again like with the batman one it all was necessary for the next stage yes 100 percent. and i think feel like we've covered as much of the broader bigger points as well as you know some of the key character moments and story beats and everything i think eve if you have stuck along and listened to all this and have not read it i think you can still read this and get so much more out of it like there's so much we haven't covered still yeah, I mean, we've yeah, we've barely talked about so much of what happened. I mean, it, I think we've inferred it quite a bit, but dialogue, especially, like Great. it always felt Kick apart it. from the swearing senses, it always felt realistic, or at the very least, felt cool and stylized and fit the tone. It was know? really readable. 
And that's what you want from reading a comic. So how many vials of out-of-date hydrogen and oxygen would you give this out of five? I mean, out five out of five, immediately. Five out of five, blowing the top off the scale. I mean, when, you've, when we're limiting ourselves to a five out of five scale, this, is, for me, is the top. How many vials of out-of-date oxygen and hydrogen out of ten would you give it? I mean, at least an eight, maybe a nine. This gets an eight from me. And one of the things that I like to do is give smart goals. So, mm. Tom King, if you're listening... <laughs> For it to have been a 9, you'd have had to have fixed the swearing. Yep. For it to have been a 10, you'd have had to have lo- lost the panels, the three panels at the start of every issue of Recap, and the times when you gave us huge chunks of story, which is just one panel with a bunch of boxes of expositional narration going down the left-hand side. That, I was actually going to make a point. Uh, I forgot that, that I liked that because that was only used for flashbacks. So I, I liked that because it, it yeah. distinguished it from the, from the modern-day stuff. I wasn't a fan. I, I enjoyed it. You know how I feel about that kind of stuff, though. I, ju- I, ju- I just feel like it's lazy. But then, uh, yeah, I've, I feel like when you are doing such good stuff with the modern, you know, with the present day story, I think you, you are allowed to take shortcuts with, well, not allowed. I don't mind personally if you take shortcuts with the flashbacks only. It's the same thing with like te- television film. There'll be like a, a, a sepia tone on the flashback or something, you know? It's like, you can tell this happened before because it looks different. Like, little techniques like that, I'm fine with. I get that, they, I get that there's... A, I, I, I don't like it. That's fair. It is irksome. But the, again... The, the podcast cannot end until we reach a consensus. No, it's fine. We, we, we it's disagree, very, it's and that's very, healthy. It's a very small fly in an otherwise very, very calming pot of salve. It's, is it the kind of fly that you could just take out with a spoon and still be fine eating it, or would you ask for a new one? Well, a salve is like an ointment. Right. So you'd take the fly out... Do you not eat your go, ointments? Well, not if I want them to work. <laughs> I feel like that ruins the efficacy. I mean, I'm no doctor. I'm no fancy pants doctor, <laughs> but uh, I'm just a simple lad from Texas. I'm no big city slicker lawyer, or uh, but uh, in the Lone Star State, we eat our unguntum. Un- <laughs> <laughs> I'm no fancy pants superhero doctor who also, for some reason, recommends church. But I mean, multiple times, mate. You know, Superman. Like God's out the window. Like, come on. Well, God does exist, and he wears a blue and red suit. Yes, I'm your gardener. Now, yeah. as Superman famous voice. I mean, that's Superman in injustice. Be like, I'm your god now. Yeah. Oh, injustice. He gets a little uh, cranky, <laughs> grumpy Superman. Yeah, but that's for another time. So, yes. Thank you for listening. <laughs> but if you've made it through all the tangents here, thank you for persevering. Let's the tangent go. is the podcast now. Literally, yeah. Um. So, if you want to leave us a review, do so on wherever you get your podcast. If it's a five star one, we might read it out. Um, if you want to tell us all of the things that we got wrong, go to comicliterate.gmail.com. Thank you for listening and good night. Thank you. Goodbye.